Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode, and this one is special because it's opening day eve. At least that is when you will be hearing this if you listen to it the day that it goes live. If not, you're late to the party, but it's okay. We're glad you're here anyway. Tara and Alex with you once again. Thanks to Ben for jumping in last week and hanging out with Alex while I was unavailable. You guys had a good time last week starting the show talking about music, and I feel like I should have some sort of pop culture reference to begin with today, but I'm, I'm falling a little bit short on that. <laughs> yeah, I brought that up, assuming he had listened to the album I was talking about, and he hadn't, so we were off to a bad start immediately, but I, I think we picked it up from there. Uh, but if we want to talk about something completely uh, not baseball related, I will tell you, I found out this morning I'm scheduled to get my first COVID shot tomorrow. So there you go. You and a lot of Cardinals players evidently will be uh, on the same schedule. Not all all of them, but we'll see how many, but uh, well, we probably won't know how many they probably won't make that public, but nonetheless, you'll be on the same schedule uh, as, uh, as many of the Cardinals will be at least in the traveling party. So congrats. (laughs) Can I, thank you. Uh, Can I ask you a quick question about the Cardinals thing? I kept seeing this number thrown out there, 85% or something, but I wasn't online enough yesterday to know what that number meant. What does that so, number mean? MLB put out a new notice that basically said a lot of the restrictions and protocols would be uh, loosened if 85% of the team, of the, the, the people inside the bubble okay. were to receive vaccinations. So things about socializing in the clubhouse, team dinners, family, that sort of thing would be relaxed a bit once or if they get to that number. It's not going to be a requirement to get the vaccination, but if enough people do, that would loosen up some of the rules a bit. So that's why that number is being tossed around. And then I believe it was Ben Fredrickson who tweeted something to the effect of the Cardinals don't think they'll get there. Okay. So what is 85% of 26? I assume it's the 26 man route. So we're talking like 22? yeah. Yeah. 23 people. So if say four people don't get it, like, or or, or let's, let's say like four or five don't get it. Like is what this saying is like, they would have to still stay at the hotel, still stay kind of quarantined on the road and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And I I don't know. I don't know within that if it's like, if there is a different sort of set of rules for fully vaccinated players and personnel versus those who choose not to, or if it's kind of like those four guys are holding up the whole thing for everyone else. I don't know. It would be an interesting, I I bet there are some interesting conversations that will be happening on this road trip to Cincinnati, trying to figure out how to work through all the different ideas and philosophies and opinions and theories. And and obviously, not everyone is going to see things the same way. And that makes a situation like this, where you need so much participation to move forward, a, a little bit more complex. We talked about it last year in terms of how much do you trust your teammates to do what they're supposed to do to allow a season to go off in the middle of a pandemic? Similar ideas surrounding this, I think. Yeah. Uh, again, obviously, we never want to make light of any of this. But if I'm Yadier Molina, and I'm assuming, hoping that Yadier Molina is on the side of let's get vaccinated. Um, 
if I'm Yadier Molina and I'm the one with all that credibility in the clubhouse, I pull everyone aside and say, look, we have road trips in San Diego, Miami. What are other nice places around the country? You know, we, we go to all these places. If you think I'm just going to be hanging out in the lobby of the Hilton Garden Inn or wherever they're staying, instead of actually going to be able to hang out with you all and enjoy ourselves or whatever it is that they do, um, maybe sometimes it's better they're not doing those things. I don't know. But again, the incentive seems enormous in terms of when you're on the road that much anyway, do you want to be stuck in a hotel room or do you want to not? And maybe stuck in a hotel room is oversimplifying what the consequences are for not reaching that 85% threshold. I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I know this is supposed to be something well, reasonable minds can differ. Like, no, come on, get, just get it. Yeah. And it's, I don't want to get too far down the the kind of combative road that this tends to bring up for people. But it is interesting to see the dynamic and what it's going to look like for different teams. The Cardinals obviously being a team that had an experience with this issue last year. And I would imagine Jack Flaherty would like to not throw bullpen sessions against a mattress in a hotel again. So there are certainly incentives just for the normalcy of it, as well as then their ability to function more like a team does. We heard them talk about that in the postseason last year, that that was the first time they really got to spend time together as a team because all through the season, they were so separated and so, uh, you know, isolated even at the field. So I think they all want that. It's just a matter of how they get there. And this is one way that would do it pretty quickly, I think. So we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Obviously, everyone on the internet is going to have their thoughts and opinions and and takes on those things. We're going to have some takes on other things (laughs) in relation to the Cardinals and their season. And I did ask on Twitter for some bold predictions from you, our loyal listeners as well. So we'll get into those in a little bit. But Alex, I was saying before we started recording, for some reason, I still am having a little bit of trouble being as invested in this season as I normally am. And I don't really know what the reason for that is, except that uh, maybe I haven't had the chance to watch as much spring training or to kind of dive in as deeply as I normally do. So you asked me about predictions for this team and I kind of went, do I have any predictions for this team? I have come up with some, but I will give you the opportunity. Would you like to start us off with some sort of prediction for the 2021 St. Louis Cardinals? We'll talk about wins and losses later, but for now, something you're expecting, something that may be realistic or unrealistic that you want to right now make a prediction about. Okay, I'm going to start with one that I think is... Absolutely realistic, but it also, I think, falls more on the, uh, wow, that would be a pleasant surprise um, side of things versus something that we are just absolutely expecting to happen. And it centers around uh, Dylan Carlson, and there's going to be kind of several predictions all built into one here. But basically, the bottom line is, I think he's going to have a good year. Um, and again, and we're assuming, uh, you know, 162 games and the amount of plate appearances that typically comes with that for a full-time player. And especially with the injury to Harrison Bader, it looks like he's going to be a full-time player. I mean, we certainly need him out there right now, and he's going to be in center field for a while. Uh, And I'm really uh, excited to see how that goes, Uh, see how good. uh, You know, I I haven't watched a ton of him. I, I 
never once saw him play, you know, at the lower levels. We all saw him play, which was rather briefly last year because it was a brief season and he wasn't up the whole time anyway. So I'm really excited to watch him play center field, see how well he does in center field. But I think he is, one, going to have an OPS north of 825. I think he's going to have a WRC plus around 125. I think he's going to be, when it's all said and done, a about 3.5 win player. Meaning I think he's going to be a, a very good player and we're going to be very excited given his age, given how much we've talked about him, given, you know, I was never really disappointed in how slow he started last year because that's what these guys do, especially someone who is as young as he is. This is not, it's not an easy thing to transition from the minors where he's basically mashed at every level and to jump into the majors. Uh, but anytime I watch him, it, it just screams at me, this is a baseball player. This is a good hitter. This, everything he does looks so smooth. And I think we're going to see good things from him. And if we do, I think that will go a long way, obviously, with this offense. Because I think a lot right now, a lot of people are kind of concerned about the outfield. And rightfully so. If we have a season like that from Dylan Carlson, where he kind of meets a lot of these expectations, I think that'll go a long way to alleviate a lot of those concerns. And again, like those numbers might not sound overwhelming. I mean, I mean, it's basically like Dexter Fowler 2017 numbers, you know, people might not remember that, but Dexter Fowler had a very good offensive year at the play about 500 plate appearances. He had an OPS right around 850. He, I think he had a 122 WRC plus or something like that. So I, I think we're going to see, you know, similar numbers there. And or I'm, I shouldn't say I think we are. I'm saying I'm predicting we will. This is a prediction episode, not what I actually know is going to happen. So that is my prediction. It's a fun prediction because, man, that would certainly uh, give us, you know, a lot of hope and promise in this player, which I think a lot of us have anyway. Again, going back to what I said a second ago, he has hit at every level he's been at. and. Given his age, if he has a season like that, I think we're all going to be really excited. And I don't even remember. And this kind of goes to what you said earlier. And it's just all feels choppy. Uh, usually at this time of year, I'm like, all right, baseball, let's go. I'm having a hard time even remembering a lot of last year. Is he still on? Is he? Did he qualify as a rookie last year or what? I mean, how did they even handle that given a 60-game season? That is I a great question. Rookie, I think he still has rookie eligibility. I think so. I don't call, remember how they factored all of that into the shortened season. And then I don't remember. That's a good question and something that I probably should have been more aware of. Uh, but again, didn't pay super close attention to it last year because of the weirdness of everything else. I, I would think so. Okay. I would think well, he does. I probably shouldn't go ahead and predict that rookie of the year, given I'm not in... <laughs> positive he's eligible but if he is eligible sure why not let's say he's going to win rookie of the year and it's embarrassing i don't even know whether or not he has rookie status or not but uh I'll, i'm gonna look that up real quick all right all right while you're looking that up i will dive into my somewhat convoluted prediction because 
everyone knows that I was disappointed in the departure of Colton Wong, that I have said I'm not super sold on Tommy Edmond as the top of the lineup consistent threat that everyone wants him to be, that we've seen him be at times. But my prediction kind of ties Tommy Edmond and Tyler O'Neill together. And I will say, the prediction is that Tommy Edmund has the kind of year that makes even someone like me, who still believes this team was probably better defensively with Colton Wong, not miss him as much as maybe I would have thought. Now, that's a very vague sort of prediction, but let me explain. I think Tommy Edmund will be fine at second base defensively, maybe even more than fine. Not necessarily Colton Wong spectacular, because very few guys are, but he will be more than serviceable at second base. I think at the plate, he has yet another year of kind of figuring out how to adjust to what pitchers are doing to him. They've already slotted him into the, the top of the lineup, at least for now. But I will say this, the reason that I connected to Tyler O'Neill is that if for some reason Tommy Edmond ends up moving all over the field defensively, if he ends up playing in the outfield because T Tyler O'Neill isn't great or somebody else gets hurt, or, you know, I, I know there's Justin Williams who can slide in there and we'll talk about him again later, but if for some reason Tommy Edmond has to fit into an outfield spot, my assumption is more that it's because of Tyler O'Neill than perhaps Dylan Carlson. That said, if Tyler O'Neill also has a strong season, I think it will give Tommy Edmond the stability of that second base role that makes him even more consistent at the plate. The wild card in this whole mix, of course, is Matt Carpenter, but I don't think that's part of the equation right now. That would be something that came up later if it comes up at all as far as Matt Carpenter playing second base in any sort of consistent fashion. So very long-winded way of saying, my prediction is that both Tommy Edmund and Tyler O'Neill have the kinds of seasons that lock them into those roles a little bit more than, particularly for Edmund, we've seen since he became a major league player, where he sort of floated around all over the place. Certainly expect him to play a little bit at shortstop if necessary to break Paul DeYoung or in an outfield spot because things get weird and they need him to play there. But if the majority of his appearances are at second base, I think that will help him stabilize his game plan, his approach. And I'm not necessarily putting numbers on anything for him, but it will be the kind of season that not just eases the pain of losing Colton Wong, but kind of makes it as much of a non-factor as it can be when you're losing that level of defense. Okay, cool. I I'm guessing you're like me and you don't really want to see Tommy Edmond in the outfield no. <laughs> much, if at all. But is there part of you that does want to see it just so you can break out your infielders in the outfield meme? True. I would have to update that with yeah. some new faces, but Ah, that's yes. right. Yes. Okay. I'm yeah, well, trying to remember who we can, all is we can on there. On that pretty quickly. I think like four of the five people on that, that uh, graphic aren't even with the Cardinals anymore. <laughs> well, if we have Tommy Edmond in the outfield um, and it just happens to coincide with Randy Arozarena, uh, you know, raking in Tampa, that's going to be tough to take. Um, yeah. That said, I, you know, me, I've been a Tommy Edmond uh, kind of believer uh, since almost day one. I don't love him leading off. I, I don't know if he needs to... Um, 
it, it almost feels like he's leading off because he looks like a guy who should be leading off. Looks like a guy who should be leading off 30 years ago, that is, which is if it was 30 years ago, he absolutely would be the leadoff hitter on this team because he's small and skinny and presumably fast and plays an infield, you know, plays an infield position, um, you know, one of the middle infield positions. But I, I'm not as concerned. And again, this is obviously not a dig at Colton Wong. I would prefer to have Colton Wong on this team. Uh, than not have Colton Wong on this team. It, it, I don't think anyone would argue that losing Colton Wong helps in any way, unless you're overly concerned about like the economics, you know, side of it, which I am not. But I, I do think he does play good enough defense at second base. Uh, let's be honest, the, at least the era that we think we're still in, a lot of balls aren't put into play anyway, uh, you know. Uh, so. I don't think losing Colton Wong hurts is going to hurt us a ton on an actual um, wins losses level. It's going to hurt a lot on the level of, well, damn it, I liked Colton Wong. And damn it, (laughs) I think we're slightly better with Colton Wong. And damn it, I became attached to Colton Wong because, you know, I followed him since he was drafted and he's a great guy and he kind of was a wears my heart on my, you know, wears his heart on his sleeves sort of player and those guys are easy to gravitate towards but i i agree with your prediction in or i yeah yeah i i see where you're coming from and i i i think there's a lot of validity to that and tyler o'neill i just want to see tyler o'neill get a ton of at bats just so we're not here next year in year five of uh you know so what do you think of tyler o'neill you know does, is he is he good is he not like you know it's we're past time to, to you know then we we need to stop having these conversations so i'm all for seeing what tyler o'neill can do extrapolated over an entire season agreed i think it's that's a question that has needed to be answered for far too long and this seems like the season where there's no reason not to answer that question and uh hopefully hopefully he answers it with the the potential that we've seen for so long, the potential that has kept him in that conversation. And hopefully he stays healthy enough to do that too. That's the other, that's the other key to all of this, right? Any of this hinges on staying healthy over the course of the season. But if that happens, let's talk about the team as a whole. Where do you see this team ending up? Give it a, give it a, a, number of wins if you're, (laughs) if you're there yet, but as a whole, what can you take from who they put on the roster, what they look like now, what you think might happen over the next couple of months? I predict that this team will win 88 games. I predict that 88 games will be enough to win the division by uh, a game or two with Milwaukee uh, right on their heels. Uh, and I actually think the Cubs will be closer than people think as well. I, I think we'll see maybe three teams between that 88 and 84 win uh, total. And, you know, the Reds slightly below that and the Pirates way below that. I, you know, it's tough because last year was so weird. Last year was such a small snapshot. We know it's hard to analyze baseball over just a period of 60 games to the point that I'd almost forgotten who had good seasons last year and who had bad seasons i was listening to uh friend of the podcast ben godar and 
Ben Humphrey's new podcast, uh, Cardinals Off Day, and Godar said something about Paul Goldschmidt having a 146 WRC plus last year. And I was like, no, he didn't. Like, that's not right. And so I looked it up. Like, oh my God, he did. I, I don't remember him, you know, being that good at the play. And that's partly because it didn't necessarily come from power. He didn't hit his normal home runs like he like he normally does. He 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 struck out a lot less, um, walked a lot. I think he had I as I saw, I looked into it a little bit further. He had like the fourth best uh, walk to strikeout ratio in the National League. So so that was good. Um, but beyond that, I was completely shocked that that he had that good of a season at the plate. Now, and I, I think if you look at baseball prospectus, they didn't quite believe in his season as much as Fangraphs did. Is he had a DRC plus something closer to like 120, 125, but whatever. It's still a very, you know, anyway, you slice it, it was a good season. And I had completely forgotten that he, by those sort of metrics, had a better year than he did the year before. Uh, now, I, I did remember the year before his first season with the Cardinals, he struck out a lot more than we would prefer. Um, he was kind of streakier. Um, you know, he had, he had a few months where he just wasn't hitting much and then, other months where he looked like the 2017 Paul Goldschmidt. So that's a very long way to say, I don't know what to expect from this team. I'm, I'm saying 88 wins because yeah, this is a time of year where you, you give, you, you say how many games you think they'll win. It doesn't matter if you're wrong. I'm not going to lose money. I'm not, I'm not placing a bet on this. We're just having fun here. (laughs) But I have. I, it's very hard to figure this team out, mostly based on because I'm trying to judge it a lot from the 2019 season uh, and the, and what the players looked like then, because last year was just so weird. And that's on top of a pitching staff that really, I think, gives a lot of us some anxiety. We're going to be asking for a lot of innings from Ponce de Leon and John Gant, and which in turn means we're going to be asking for a lot of innings from our bullpen. Um, you know, I would love to do, here's a question over under on the amount of times Ponce de Leon pitches past pitches into the fifth inning, 2.5 over and, and granted I, I'm putting it that low cause he might not be a starter the entire season. Right. I would say over, but if you went like 4.5, 5.5, I would Smash that yeah. <laughs> And look, Ponce has been really effective in AAA as a starter. We know that. We've seen that. But his major league numbers don't show that sort of depth into games. And that, to me, is the reason for the Jake Woodford addition to the bullpen. Because with Gant and Ponce de Leon both in the rotation to start the year those guys are going to need some backup as far as eating up some innings at the the back end of their starts. So I don't know if it's a situation where Ponce can build up to a point where he's going five consistently, maybe six every now and then that hasn't really been his MO. So I understand completely the hesitance to think this is a guy that's going to be able to be more effective as a starter than he was out of the bullpen where he only had to go two, maybe three innings at the most at any, any given time. Completely understand that. I told Shopta on our 
podcast on Sunday that the 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 real answer to why I'm worried about the pitching is because I'm always worried about pitching. <laughs> I don't remember a season where I went into a year without one piece or the other of a pitching staff giving me heartburn from day one because of the possibilities of implosion. And you're right. I think for me and in the conversations we've had, that's a huge piece of why it's hard to get a grip on what this team has the potential to be. Yeah. Wouldn't you like to see Ponce de Leon? Um, well, let me start that over. Wouldn't you rather the Cardinal, the Cardinals have the type of rotation in place so Ponce de Leon can more fill that kind of Carlos Villanueva role from 2015? Where yeah. important role. I mean, I would venture to say he probably threw up to 60. I, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he threw about 60 to 70 innings that year. And um, really important innings. Yeah, yeah. Some I, I think yeah. he, I think they kind of uh Gave him the honorary. We're going to let you be on the mound when we clinch this thing. Uh, when they, you know, when they played Pittsburgh, just because he was a veteran and they had a lot of respect for him. But he, he was he was someone who would come in when they needed innings, whether it was a game that was out of hand, um, you know, and they didn't want to have arms, you know, wasted for the game that was going to start the next day. You know, if you can't win, you know, we might not win today, but we can still win tomorrow. You know, that's a very important thing to always keep in mind in baseball, and. Like you said, those are important innings because you are helping out the bullpen. It, it might not look like it directly on its face, but when when you're pitching, because so we don't have to use like Gallegos or something like that for a game that is already you know perhaps decided. That's important, and I always thought Ponce de Leon would uh, fit nicely in a role like that. I I feel as though we've seen him as a starter, and he's he's fine. But with, uh, with the rest of the rotation where, you know, I really only feel 100% comfortable with Jack Flaherty. And I only say that about Adam Wainwright because he's 39. I mean, you know, pitchers just typically aren't good at age 39. Carlos Martinez, man, if we had a great season out of Carlos, that would be wonderful. And it's certainly possible. The skills are there. He's always had the skills. Um, but he also hasn't been a full-time starter for a, you know, for a really long time. And this also doesn't even touch on the fact of how are we even going to use all of our starters based on the workload they had last year? I mean, I don't think we're going to see any starter approach 200 innings. How many are we going to have Eclipse 150? I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be really interesting. And this is why it's just so hard to even pinpoint down, like, this is what I think is going to happen. Um, I, I'm really curious, curious to see kind of, what went into the formulas at like places like prospectus and things like that, where they kind of, you know, do turn out these numbers and projections and how they dealt with last year. I'd like to see like almost like an article about that. And I'm sure that article actually has been written and I haven't seen it, but that's what makes it tough. Yeah, it is. And just as a side note, if you were to ask me what I think the, the, one of the most important pieces to the Cardinals being successful this season, it would actually be Carlos Martinez because I think what he does and what his success looks like this year can be a huge key factor in what happens with the rest of the pitching staff. Because if he's not great, all of a sudden (laughs) everything is really, really thrown out of whack, whether it moves him back to the bullpen and then you have guys who aren't really starters starting, or if he is just bad as a starter, but if he's great, if he's, healthy and if he's successful as a starter 
and I'm not even saying like peak Carlos Martinez good. If he's just good <laughs> consistently as a starter, I think it does wonders for the stability of the pitching staff. So that's just sort of an aside. If if you're asking me what I think is one of the most important pieces of the puzzle for the Cardinals this year, I'm really, really interested in how much of an impact uh, a stabilized Carlos Martinez role can have for this team. But then to your point about, you know, all the ways that this pitching staff creates questions. I was realizing the other day that, first of all, I was going to say 88 wins as well as a prediction for this team with the caveat that, or maybe even not a caveat, but the question that, do you think one of the things that is maybe under-discussed at this point because of the very obvious questions about the pitching staff is how much better the offense will actually be? with Nolan Arenado in it, right? We kind of just saw the the move to bring Arenado in, know what he's capable of, and we're like, cool, there's going to be runs on the board this year. Whatever you take from spring training, the the stats are there. <laughs> They're not the most predictive as far as what's going to happen in the regular season. But we said a, a number of times last year, this offense, this lineup wasn't really one piece away from being phenomenal, from competing with the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Padres of the world, right? Understanding that the addition of Arnado probably makes Paul Goldschmidt better, probably takes some pressure off of Dylan Carlson, probably fleshes out, rolls in that lineup a little bit more and takes pressure off of guys who shouldn't have been in those pressure situations. All of that is true. But for me, one of the hardest things about getting a good idea of how good this team can be, I guess, is in two parts. One, how much of an improvement can this lineup actually make offensively in terms of, you know, not to go down the Jeff Albert rabbit hole, but have they figured that whole curriculum out yet at this point? Is that still going to be tripping some guys up? Are we going to see the fruits of that that effort at this point? Are guys who struggled last year going to rebound? Is Paul Goldschmidt going to be a 146 WRC plus player over the course of a, a full season versus a shortened season? What does Arenado do in a ballpark that's not hitter friendly? All those things can dramatically change. Look, if the pitching is great, they still have to score runs. We saw that in the the NLCS against the Nationals. Like, doesn't matter how great your pitching is. <laughs> if you can't score runs, you're still going to struggle. But the second thing is that factor in conjunction with what is still, I think, a fairly weak division. I feel like this is a Cardinals team that could go from like 85 to 95 wins. And I wouldn't be shocked by either. And that seems crazy to say at the beginning of a season, when you look at all the pieces as they are now, but so much can move <laughs> within those pieces. Is it, is it crazy to think that this is a team that could be wildly more successful than a lot of people, us included, are giving them credit for at this point? Hmm. No, uh, I, I see the, I, I agree that I think there's a lot of variability here. I look at more as between like, you know, win total of 80, God forbid, or, or to 90, you know, I, I kind of see, I kind of see them falling. It's probably way more realistic, but. <laughs> falling somewhere in there, but it sort of goes back to where I started, which is if Dylan Carlson has a breakout season, that that is very big. If yeah. if Tyler O'Neill can, gosh, if we can get four hundred 
50 to 500 plate appearances from Tyler O'Neill. And he is able to, as he has done in small increments throughout his career, you know, keep improving on his, you know, strikeout rate, which was well above 40%, I believe, when he first, you know, came onto the scene. That could be big. Um, we are probably going to lose some offense with Colton Wong going to uh, Milwaukee, even though he wasn't that great at the plate last year. But again, last year, don't trust last year. Uh, I, I think he's a better offense player than Tommy Edmond. And I think that without looking at them right now, I'm guessing the projections say that as well. But yeah, Nolan Arnato, I think, is very big to this lineup because a player like Paul DeYoung took, I, I believe, about half of his plate appearances last year batting either second or fourth. And I just think he's miscast in that role. So if yeah. you have someone like Nolan Arenado who can no did I say it right? Did I say Arenado? It's Yes, Arenado. And it's <laughs> Nolan Ar, Arenado. Yeah. Arenado. Yes. Did the Colorado fans even call him by I correctly? I don't think anyone ever has clarified. I don't know. I hear it both ways all it's the time. Absolutely. But he said it's Arenado. It's absolutely Arenado. And I need to, I usually, I have been saying that since he corrected everyone, but I still slip up sometimes. So call me out anytime I call him, you know, by the wrong name. Uh, if we could see Paul DeYoung batting predominantly, I think in that fifth and sixth spot, meaning just if we can add a piece that, makes all the other pieces kind of fall where they where they were supposed to anyway. I think that could be big help for this lineup. If it's another season like 2019 and like last year where they just and I what I, I don't really have the 2020 team on the operating table right now to figure out like, oh yeah, what were they really bad at against? I don't even remember. I just know they weren't a good offensive team. They did not score. Well they couldn't lot. score with uh, runner on third with less than two outs. That was not happening. <laughs> yeah, that I, I do remember that being a thing. Um, I think that's also one of my things where I think every fan thinks that's a thing with their team. Uh, true. true. Uh, you know what? If I, I think we probably think I should, it's a lot easier than it really is. <laughs> We're like, come oh, we, on, he's we right definitely there. Think it, that. You should obviously be able to score that run. He's right there. Well, well that reminds me of... of I think something I thought of last year, which is that like, I'm tired of hearing an announcer say after a team, uh, let's say has a runner on first and third with one out and then they don't score any runs. I'm tired of an announcer saying like, well, they escaped that jam. Like, no, let's stop calling that a jam. That's no longer a jam <laughs> when players are striking out like 20, whatever, 25% of the time. That is not a jam uh, unless... It's so I, I think there needs to be a universal rule that if you're going to say a team escaped a jam, there has to be no outs and a runner on third. Uh, any other fair. circumstances, we're not calling it a jam, especially <laughs> if we're going to say in extra innings, a player can start on second with no <laughs> outs. And I'm, I'm assuming if that runner doesn't come along the score, we're not calling that getting out of a jam. So yes, these are the new rules. We're no longer, there's not enough balls put in play to say, Getting out of a first and third with one out is a jam. Is getting out of a jam. Runner must be on third with no outs. I'm, I like it. I'm saying I'm that right now. I don't want to hear okay. any more of getting <laughs> out of a jam. Uh, that's not the way baseball works anymore. Um, I got off on a tangent. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it was bad offense. Bad offense. I hope it is a good. Yeah, I. You know, they, they are, they're always deep enough with like just good enough players to where the guys who can fill in and, and yeah. 
and be good enough if if someone were to get hurt. Um, I guess my the bottom line of my idea here is so many of the guys that are still there have been underperforming for a while now <laughs> offensively, right? 2019, not great. 2020, some guys had better numbers than it felt because it still became, you know, offense that let them down more often than not. But it's hard to know what to do with this perceived improvement in the lineup from an offensive standpoint because of the addition of Arnato and how that fleshes everything else a little out a little bit better. It's hard to know what to do with that in terms of what that's going to mean for results. Is it going to mean this offense is better than it has been? Probably. How much better though? Because when you, if you just, without thinking about what they've done recently, if you put Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and a potential rookie of the year candidate all in the same lineup, you're thinking this is going to be awesome. But knowing what we've seen in the last couple of years, there is that hesitance to buy in until we actually start to see that pay off. And that's where I feel like there could be this swing of three, four, five games that turn because of offense that either is there or isn't there, that it's really hard to guess at this point, which is why, I mean, that's why predictions are wrong a lot, because it's hard to guess without ever actually seeing them play a regular season game. But that's that is the the line of thinking for me is that as much as the pitching is a little bit scary, I still don't know what to expect of the lineup. Well, I think we can always fall back on the rest of the division being uh, bad enough or or right. not good enough is probably more yeah. accurate that the Cardinals should at least be competing for for first place. Yeah, that's the goal, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything less than that will feel pretty unacceptable. Yeah, especially after the big move for Arenado, finally. Finally making the big move in a year where the division was so bad that on this podcast we kept saying, does anyone care? (laughs) Uh, Do you think the goodwill, one, has it run out? And did it run out too quickly, if so? Because it seems like we're not really talking about... uh, If you just think back to how excited we were right after that broke in early February, late January... Because of the expect for two things. One, there weren't as many television games for spring training this year. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity to see this shiny new toy. But also, Nolan Arenado wasn't exceptionally impressive at the plate in the spring. I mean, I know the big story at the close of spring was that he called his shot with the home run and it was his first of the spring. And then he was like, cool, I'm good to go. So maybe some of the excitement is just that we haven't seen the fireworks yet of the Arenado Goldschmidt duo that hopefully we'll see very quickly. They both hit pretty well in in Cincinnati, if I recall. So maybe we'll see more of those fireworks right, right off the the bat. Um, No pun intended, but Maybe that's part of the reason is that the pitching puzzle has taken more of a precedence because there have been more questions about it. And that offensive threat hasn't claimed a whole lot of headlines yet at this point, as far as what we saw in the spring. It's not like he showed up and every other at bat was hitting home runs. <laughs> Agreed. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what ends up happening with him. We'll see what ends up happening with the lineup. I did ask on the Twitter Real quick, I'm going to ask you, so are you going with 88 wins as well? Yes, 88 okay. is still, it's an 88 with a with a, a star that's like, but 
could it be a lot better? <laughs> because I think the offense has uh, the ability to really elevate this team, especially compared to the rest of the NL Central. But we just haven't seen that yet. So let's see. Unless you have any other bold predictions, no. what uh, what the listeners have had to say. I'm pulling it up here. Okay, starting with this exceptionally bold prediction from Tim says they're going to play some baseball games this summer. <laughs> well, maybe. Um, <laughs> we didn't see many last summer. And once they did start baseball, there was a big, uh, what was that, a two-week break? Yes. Ugh. So if we have another COVID <sighs> yeah. outbreak, um, you know, it remains to be seen. And that's going to put a lot of strain on the new Cardinals off-day podcast if there is a uh, if, if there is a two week break, I'm expect I will be expecting a podcast every day um, from those. They from those are guys, off days. So, yeah, that yeah, is yeah, that, that is they, the premise. They yeah they they laid down the premise quite clearly in that first episode. So uh, for their sake, they're I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, all right. So friend of the podcast Daniel Shopta says Matt Carpenter will have more hits in April than he had all of spring. He had what two in spring? I believe so. Uh, similar to my uh, last answer, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and he followed that up by saying, if he's not starting, we're talking about fewer at-bats. So n- not as uh, as small of a, I guess not as low of a bar as it initially sounds, if he's not playing very much. Brad uh, followed that up from Shopta saying, I'll say he gets at least 10 hits in the month of April, which would be a significant increase. If, if Matt Carpenter ends up having a good season and, and, but I say, when I say good season, I, let's say like, uh, I don't know, let's say he has an OPS above 800 and, and he, he has around 450 to 500 plate appearances to his name. Will you ever take anything seriously about spring training again? <laughs> at, least, at least as far as hitters are concerned probably that okay. and i will also well, never ever if matt carpenter wants to play till he's 95 <laughs> i will be like whatever man i i don't know it's probably not gonna work but i said that before so <laughs> might as well give it a go well it's an easy thing to uh to say because it's not gonna happen I, I'm, right. I'm assuming it's not gonna happen but wouldn't that be nice uh, also, not likely to happen, but equally bold. Austin says that Justin Williams wins Rookie of the Year. Whoa! I like it. That I like would where be, your head's that at. That would be. I would welcome that. Yeah, that would be. Uh, although I will say, if Justin Williams plays enough to be in the conversation for Rookie of the Year, we have bigger problems. <laughs> so well, yeah, I don't know how that actually affects the team. However, anyone who plays well enough to win Rookie of the Year. Uh, probably is making a significant impact on the wins and losses for the team. So I wouldn't be mad about it. Were you surprised it was Justin Williams instead of Lane Thomas? And follow-up question, does it really matter? Yes and no. (laughs) Yes, I was surprised because the, the organization has been so high on Lane Thomas, but I think Justin Williams did enough this spring to make himself part of that conversation. I did think it was interesting that even though he was a, uh, he ended up with an extra option, the Cardinals didn't take advantage of that and didn't kind of use that as their excuse to not put him on the the opening day roster. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm glad to see that for him. And yeah, I mean, Austin, if if you're really high on Justin Williams, I would be happy to see this happen. If this was just a bold take for the sake of bold takes, congrats. That might be the boldest one of all that we got. All right. Here's another one from Brayden. Says that Wayno will lead the team in wins. Sure. Why not? <laughs> um, I mean, seems very possible. That will not mean he's our best pitcher. Um, but it's absolutely very possible. You know, I, I I was thinking about the pitching win stat. What I'm trying to remember what baseball podcast I was listening to, and for some reason this this analogy popped into my head. And when it comes to that stat, and that's if you meet someone, <laughs> you might have to edit. You might have to just erase this after I say it. But but l- let's say you meet someone who has been divorced once or twice. Okay, to me, that says absolutely nothing about that person in terms of like being not great at relationships, because, you know, everyone knows being married is not an easy thing to do. Divorces happen all the time. Um, I would need to know more information than just that stat alone. But if someone has been divorced, let's say six times, I don't need to know anything else. (laughs) That tells me all I need to know about whether that person is good at being married. It doesn't, I'm not saying, it's not about whether or not this is a good person. It's just whether or not this person is good at being married. They're clearly not, and I don't need to see any other, there, I, I don't, there's no other context needs to be provided. All right, so pitching wins. If a player in one season has a lot of pitching wins, that doesn't tell me much of anything. Um, and especially doesn't tell me much in like the smallest of like one pitching win of whether or not that guy pitched well, but post, let's say whatever you want to call the modern era of baseball. If a guy retires with 250 or so pitching wins, I don't need to see anything else. That's a good pitcher. That's a very good pitcher because one, it says he, that person stuck around long enough Mm-hmm. to to play a lot of years. And if you do that, that means you're automatically good. And if you and if you accumulate that many wins over a certain period of time, then I don't need to see any other stats. I can almost guarantee you are a very good pitcher. If someone can find an example of someone who in the modern era has that many pitching wins and can argue this was actually not a good pitcher, uh, I would I would like to see it. But I don't think that exists. So I think in that instance, pitching wins can tell us something. But only in that instance. Just I like think that's, someone yeah. who's been divorced six times. Uh, what do you think of that? Tells com- you, how tells do you, you like that? No, I think, it's, I think it's a very fair uh, comparison in the sense that, look, it's, it's almost about repeatability, right? If you're good enough to repeat this performance over and over and over again, then it's probably, it probably has more to do with you than it has to do with the other circumstances. And if you as a pitcher, if we're talking about Adam Wainwright, if he's good enough to go five innings, six innings, occasionally seven innings, especially if it's a seven inning doubleheader and he pitches all seven of the first game or whatever it is, and he's done that through the course of his career, we can, I think, fairly say that means we can officially, simply say he's a very good pitcher. For someone to do that in one season and have, you know, rack up a bunch of wins or for it to be a a situation where 
in a single game, there's emphasis placed on what pitcher got the win that day. I don't think it means a whole lot because it's not the, it's one of those sample sizes that almost has to be exaggerated for it to mean anything. It's kind of like even in the course of a season, if we're talking about a pitcher who has 20 wins, okay, fine. That tells me something. It might not tell me all of the context. If we're talking about a pitcher who has six or seven wins, well, I need to know more about what happened in those wins to know if I'm crediting him with the team win (laughs) or if it's a matter of other pieces falling into place and he just happened to be the guy that left the game with the lead or whatever it is. So I, it's, I, I do actually think that in a, an unexpected way, it's a very solid comparison. <laughs> I said six divorce. That's a lot of divorce. I, I, I think we could lower that number to four and I still feel that's pretty probably fair. I, three. I don't, I three, you know, like, you know, you live long enough, things can happen, you know, whatever, yeah. but four, at four, you're probably like, four, you might be part of the problem at here. four. <laughs> even the person with four usually agrees. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not good at this. <laughs> That's probably true. That That is probably true. All right. One more bold prediction <laughs> from the internet. Speaking of Ben Godar, his prediction is that Alex Reyes will be the best pitcher in the rotation during the months of August, September, and October. Huh. Did he explain a why an emphasis That's on all those he months? Said. On- That's all. Tell me those months again. Did he say October? August, September, October. Ah, I like that edition of October because, huh. So what that's telling me is because, so he has like a 100 inning limit, right? Which, right. okay. Um, and he said in the rotation, does that mean starting rotation? I, I, I hear that question as meaning he's a starting pitcher. That is what my interpretation was by the inclusion of in the rotation okay. during the months of August, September, and October. So is what Ben is saying is that Alex Reyes is going to be, one, healthy, and two, mm-hmm. good enough out of the pen early that they're going to be like, okay, we need to um, start him. We need we and we're going to need a starter. I, I think it yeah. also says Alex Reyes is healthy, and several other people are not healthy. Right? Um, <laughs> there is an available spot in the rotation in August, so they're not going to overuse him early um, because you know it's very hard to compile that many innings out of the bullpen. It's it's just hard, especially for a player like Alex Reyes, who you only want to use in. You know, you're not going to want to use him in like mop up innings if you're trying right. to, uh, you know, not not exceed a certain inning limit. So I assume by the time August hits, we're going to be like, okay, you know, Alex Reyes has only thrown like 35 or 40 innings. Let's mm-hmm. and he's good to go. Let's stretch him out. Yeah. Let's get him in the rotation, and then heading into October, and then he's going to lead us to a World Series championship. I I suppose is is the um, assumption there i don't know yeah i i like it i think that would be an incredible chapter in the alex reyes story which would lead into a very interesting season next year looking at him in the rotation uh, more permanently so uh ben i like where your head's at and uh, as far as bold predictions go uh thank you for for sharing one that that has me suddenly very excited for august All right, we have gone just about long enough, but Alex, before I let you go and before we release this to the public for opening day eve, 
we got to get in one more off season. I guess it's still technically the off season. Trip of the week. Okay, so as everyone knows, we have opening day this Thursday, and a good person to talk about on opening day, in my opinion, is Ozzy Smith because he always put on such a spectacle on opening day. You know, uh, at least home opener, he would run out and do the backflip and. I don't care what anyone says. That's one of the coolest things anyone has ever done in any sport at any time, in my opinion. Such a cool thing. I also like the fact that you you could kind of like track, like if you see the early like mid 80s, you know, early 80s, mid 80s backflips, those are some legitimate backflips. <laughs> like this is like a guy who probably could have excelled in some sort of, I guess, gymnastics or, or whatever you want to call it. Like he, he was very skilled. And I was always impressed that he could do it with a glove on, although I don't know if that really matters all that much. I need to consult a gymnast on that. But as, you know, moved into the 90s, especially the late 90s, like that last one, I was like, ooh, you, 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 you arrived at the landing, but it was a little closer than I think most of us would prefer. It's probably good we know you're retiring, you know. So. Maybe not do that again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I wonder if that's when, if he just said, you know, I'm going to retire when I know I can no longer do the backflip. Uh, that, he did the backflip and was like, ooh, that'll I, be a that good feels way to like know it's it. It's time to go. <laughs> um, anyway, so I want to talk about Ozzy Smith because, and this, this will be very quick, but last week on March 25th, the San Diego Padres Twitter account, in replying to someone else uh, who was talking about Tony Gwynn, uh, said, an extremely underrated Tony Gwynn stat, he had five seasons with more stolen bases than strikeouts. And... I read that and I wasn't surprised because Tony Gwynn almost never struck out and he stole more bases than people would assume just based on, you know, how Tony Gwynn looked. He didn't look, especially later in his career, he just didn't look like a guy who would steal a lot of bases. But it also made me think, Tony Gwynn did that five times. I bet Ozzie Smith did it more. He and Tony Gwynn were kind of like the premier, very hard to strike out guys in their day. And sure enough, because Ozzie Smith was also known more as a base stealer, I thought he probably did this more than Gwen. And yes, that is correct. Ozzie Smith did it eight times. And I decided to cherry pick the stats even further because Ozzie Smith retired with 580 stolen bases um, for his career. I forget where that is all time, but it's like, it's pretty close to like top 20 or something like that. But he also only struck out 589 times. So I was thinking, if I really cherry pick these stats and see like how many players are there who have stolen more than 500 bases for their career, but struck out fewer than 600 times, I bet it's a list of Ozzie Smith and Ozzie Smith alone. And I went to Baseball References stat head. I started at 1947 because I think that's when we've just kind of decided to uh, say these stats kind of start to matter or, you know, represent the modern era more than they did before that. And I put in that criteria, who has stolen at least 500 bases and struck out fewer than 600 times? And I was expecting only to get Ozzie Smith's name shot back to me. But I got Ozzie Smith and Juan Pierre. Juan Pierre... Uh, stole 615 bases for his career and only struck out 479 times. And that's the end of the list. Just those two guys, Ozzie mm-hmm. Smith and Juan Pierre. And Juan Pierre uh, retired in 2013 
So he did it even more recently than Ozzie Smith. Maybe I didn't appreciate Juan Pierre's career as much as I should have. I knew he stole a lot of bases. I don't think I knew he stole that many bases. I don't think I knew he stole more than 600 bases. And I definitely didn't know he was that hard to strike out. So good on you, Juan Pierre. It's always good to learn new things about new players. I feel like I learned something about Juan Pierre today. And while also adding more to the legend that is Ozzie Smith, my favorite baseball player of all time, and the greatest opening day baseball player of all time, because he's the only one who did a backflip running out to his position. Nice. That's your chirp of the week. The legend continues. It's always cool when you see somebody like that in such select company. And I think, you know, it just makes it even more impressive when you're when you're one person who does incredible things, but also a bunch of other people do the same incredible things. It doesn't lessen the accomplishment, but it does when there is a list of two, even if it's something you know, relatively arbitrary in the grand scheme of things, it's always fascinating to see who kind of matches up to that specific skill set, which we all know Ozzie Smith had a, a pretty specific piece in kind of that conversation of of how good he was and what made him so good. So uh, Juan Pierre would never have would never have guessed that that was the other person to make that list. There you go. That is your last off-season trip of the week, which means next week, Alex, we'll have actual baseball games to talk about, wins and losses that actually matter, and maybe we'll start to get an early indication of what this team is going to look like in 2021, and hopefully things look a lot more normal than they did last year, and we can kind of forget that that ever happened, except for the pieces of it that maybe mean something someday to the grand scheme of Cardinals baseball. That is it for us today, though. Thanks so much for listening. Let us know if you have any other bold predictions for the Cardinals or if you think there's a a sliding scale of the possible number of wins the Cardinals could accumulate this year. And we will talk to you again very soon.